then yeah, in 2014, I decided to kind of put all my own money against, you know, building this sort of new award show for games that was not going to be on television. It was going to be on this new kind of, you know, streaming stuff on, on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, and yeah, that was something that I basically, you know, uh, invested in myself to kind of build that. And that was sort of the, you know, the more entrepreneurial thing and kind of took a lot of the money that I'd made over the years uh, being a television, you know, host on, on TV uh, and rolled that into sort of, uh, you know, creating the game award. That was Jeff Keeley, host of the Game Awards, talking about how he basically he started a business to do this. I tell so weird that that's how you introduce him. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I don't think of him as that, like at all. As what I think of him as uh, game trailer, like oh, okay. host. You know, like I have a different <laughs> relationship with who he is in my mind. So it's when you say that, it's like what? Oh, right, yeah. And he owns them. Oh. <laughs> That's the other thing, right? Not only is he the yeah. host. I didn't know that. I know nothing. I knew nothing about his business. Yeah. Um, and it, but it's a business. It's a pretty fascinating it one, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a crazy business to have. It's a really good one, too, for the industry. It's pretty unique. I think he fills a kind of a unique role. But Very we're going to hear all about it. We're, you told me not to spoil the episode. Oh, right. So now I'm, I'm doing not, what you I'm do. Not gonna spoil, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to spoil the episodes. Yeah. But nice to be back in L.A. I spent uh, the weekend up at Big Bear, out oh. in the woods, camping. Nice. Was there bears? Is there bears in Big Bear? There, yeah, yeah, there are bears. Okay. Because I texted you, and I was like, watch out for the bears. And I was like, <laughs> are there even bears there? I did and not I see like, bears. Cougars. Saw ground squirrels. Saw a Dude, lot of birds. I saw a coral snake today. I almost stepped on it. Is that poisonous? Yeah. It's venomous, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's yellow, red, yellow, kill a fellow, I think is the rhyme. There's like Ooh. there's another snake that looks like it that's not poisonous. Uh and in Texas the poisonous it's, okay. Venomous. Yeah. Venomous, right? right. The, venomous. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Frogs are poisonous. Yes. Po- is yeah. poisonous is like you eat them and you ingest the yeah. poison and that kills yeah. you. Like a venomous, they dart bite frog. you and inject you with venom. Is that yeah. the distinction? Yeah. Hey, look, the... we just did a service for everyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I did not see any podcast. snakes. I saw some horses and I heard a coyote. <laughs> That's right. You were saying you thought it was a wolf. Yeah. But so, but not wolf. as interesting as your <laughs> snake. <laughs> well, you reminded like me <laughs> animals that kill you in the wild. It's, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit, man. I'm glad you didn't step on that snake. I that almost snakes, did. I was on the phone with my wife. Oof. They're all over Texas. There's a lot of them here. It's kind of like I live in a dungeon. Remember that era where every villain in the dungeon was like snakes, spiders, and skeletons? Yeah, snakes, spiders, scorpions. (laughs) And skeletons. Yeah, Yeah, skeletons, right? It's kind of like Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Not as bad as Australia for the crazy animals that will kill you, right? Yeah, there's more, I think, there. And anywhere else in the world. And then Texas is like number two. Isn't that crazy? That's like the villains. Uh, and you know, that's something that I want. It's it's funny that we bring that up because it's something that I wanted to talk about with Jeff. Uh, Jeff. I just want to say Jeff because I knew a guy whose name is spelled that way and we had to call him Jeff. But it's Jeff, right? Jeff Keeley. Are you saying something different? Jeff. Jeff. Like Jeff? You, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Anyways. Really? That guy, so that guy, okay, so we were talking about those villains, right, which were like in every game, and it was so simple, right? When he came on the scene, I was thinking about this before he he came on that, and it's just like our previous guest, like perfect timing, like, and he's built for the job, which is crazy. Like he's, I, I thought he was an actor when I first saw him until I heard him get interviewed, and I was like, dude, this guy knows games. Like, he's not an actor, you know, because he came in yeah. right after the 90s when everything was like, yeah, we're going to play this game and your head's going to explode. Woo! You know what I'm saying? It was like all the games were like, all the advertisements were like that. Yes, right. You yes, know? the hype. All the hype was bro the edge. hype. Yeah, it was yeah. Bro, yeah. And that was before, like, so there's like these seasons, right? What was the first one? It was like games were respected as like an appliance. And then they were like a toy, like a video, like, and then they turn into the edgy thing. And then it was like that season right after edgy when, when he came on the scene. <laughs> okay. And it was just really like, it's like, wow, there's a guy that's on TV that actually, or not TV. I used to watch him on game trailer, game trailers. And I love the show. 
and I was excited to see. He just, yeah, is a good. He's a good person. For I always told whenever we were talking about bringing him on, he reminded me of Kurt Loder. You know, is that his name, Kurt Loder right. from MTV? Yeah, from yeah, MTV. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. really, yeah, it's a good. I don't know. I I, I was really excited to get to talk to him. And get to meet him. Yeah. Me too. He's he's got a really, I think, a really cool story and uh, a pretty unique one. Um, so why don't we roll the conversation and hope you all enjoy it. Leveling up your game dev career but not sure where to start? Maybe you're trying to break into the industry, looking to connect with other people who are making games. Consider joining the International Game Developers Association, the IGDA, the world's largest nonprofit, member-driven professional association serving all individuals who create games. I was in the IGDA in Chicago, met a lot of people, great way to network. The IGDA exists to support and empower game developers around the world in achieving fulfilling and sustainable careers. Discounts, educational and advocacy-based resources, mentorship, and solidarity across 160 plus chapters. To join the IGDA, visit IGDA.org membership and use the code IGDA 4th Curtain 15, no spaces there, to get 15% off one and two year memberships, as well as a student membership. Joining the IGDA is a great move for your career, and as a nonprofit supporting everyone making games, it's a great move for the whole community. Join today. Okay, thank you for joining us today, friends. I'm so excited for this one. Jeff Keeley is with us today, and Jeff, you're usually the one introducing yeah. people. Uh, so maybe just sit back. <laughs> Relax a little bit. Well, I fire off an exquisitely researched and appropriately flattering intro for you. Uh, Jeff has made a career in video games as a journalist and a personality. We've got a few of those in our biz, but um, we all know him as the host of the Game Awards and most recently Summer Game Fest, which uh, I think I'm hopeful that it's the heir apparent of E3. Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll ask you all about that. Um, if you're a little older, you probably know him from Spike TV's VGAs. And if you go way back, maybe from G4 TV, Aaron, huh? That was is my that, favorite. That, That's yep. where I used to watch okay. it. He's written for Kotaku, Entertainment Weekly, Fortune Magazine. He's created shows for MTV. He's got a cameo in Death Stranding. What? I didn't know that. Jeff, welcome to the show. <laughs> That's cool. How you doing? Great to be here. Hello, Alex, Aaron. Thanks for inviting <laughs> Thanks me for on. And yes, that is a... Full recap of my career. You left out some of the bad parts, but all the good parts, yes. <laughs> well, the bad parts are probably the interesting parts, but usually we have folks on that like our game director or studio founder. And I think you have one of the more visible spots, roles, influences in our industry. Yeah, I think you're you may be one you you may be in a very unique position in terms of the kind of access that you have to development and development teams, the kinds of people that you've met and your influence on the industry, especially in the celebration of our craft and all of that. Um, how did you get into it? And is that fair? Is that a, is that a fair opinion? Is that a fair yeah, view? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm honored to be in the position I am. It's a, you know, great kind of power comes the responsibility, right. Of sort of doing things right. So yeah, <laughs> I, I've, you know, I, I, I said my whole, life in the gaming industry and i'm really kind of in a position now where it's everything i always dreamed about being able to do um you know i've never had another job in my life right i mean my first job was you know writing for a video game magazine when i was 13 years old and that became my summer job so i you know i haven't had to work anywhere else i've all games have always been sort of this little side summer job that turned into uh you know a, a job after college that turned into a career now um but i mean if you really want to wind things back to where it all began um, I was a big fan of uh, adventure games when I was a kid. My brother and I would play all the old Sierra and LucasArts adventure games. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. those really just sort of inspired me on IBM PC back in the day. So uh, one day I decided to write a letter to Sierra Online and put it in the, the post mail as we did back in the, uh, the 1990s <laughs> um, from Toronto, Canada, where I grew up. I was 12 years old and I sent a letter to Sierra in Oakhurst, California saying, I love your games. You know, I want to learn more about how you make them and never expected to get a response. But two or three weeks later, I got a letter back in the mail from Sierra, this lady named Gano Hain, who is a producer there at Sierra and said, Jeff, thank you so much for your letter. 
uh, you know, it's amazing that you love our games. Would you be interested in helping us test some early versions of oh, upcoming cool. games as yeah. a beta tester? Uh, so I got to beta test in 1992 a game called EcoQuest 2. EcoQuest. Yes, I was, you know, I was gonna hope. I was gonna hope they did not send Leisure Suit Larry out to a no. I was gonna say, did you play? King, <laughs> did you play the King's Quest series? The King's Quest, yeah, series? of course. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I did. You know, I played Leisure Suit Larry as well. But uh, Space Quest, King's <laughs> Quest, Quest for Glory, all those games. I loved Gabriel Knight, Freddie Farkas. So I, I so I started uh, beta testing these games, and then EcoQuest was the first one. I think Freddie Farkas Frontier Pharmacist was the second one I did, and then Gabriel Knight. Um, so I got to play these games early and it was really cool for me to kind of understand how they made the games and you would play them and you'd hit control L on your keyboard and you'd actually be able to log bugs as you played the game and give feedback <laughs> on things. So anyways, the, the, how that led to a career was I was also on CompuServe um, in the early days because uh, when pre-internet, they had the Sierra BBS where you had to basically all oh, long yeah. distance to get hints on games. And I lived in Toronto, Canada, and I remember you'd have to you'd have to call this uh, BBS, which was like a California Oakhurst phone number. And by then, you know, long distance charges you paid by the minute, so you'd have to log on to this BBS and to get a hint, you'd have to go through this text menu, and it was all you almost had to gamify like how quickly could you get through to the hint you needed, <laughs> because if you took more minutes, you were gonna be charged more money. So anyway, so I I, I spent you know one one month that was like hundreds of dollars probably on this uh, BBS talking about Sierra games. So CompuServe came along which was, again, pre-internet, was a way to sort of have a local phone number where you could sort of dial into oh, yeah. a service and not have to pay long distance charges. So there was a forum on CompuServe called the Gamers Forum, and I was on there talking about games. And when the new Sierra games would come out, I could answer hints basically for free for people because I had beta tested the oh. games and I knew how to get through the games. So instead of people having to call this long distance BBS, I was able to sort of give some hints for these games, how to solve these puzzles um, in the Sierra games. So anyways, I was doing that just as a just as a fan. And one day I got an email on CompuServe uh, from a guy who was the editor of a magazine called Computer Game Strategy Plus. At the time it was just called Strategy oh, yeah. Plus Magazine. Um, I remember saying that, that uh, you know, I, I, it seems that you, you know a lot about these Sierra games. You, you know, we like how you write. Would you ever be interested in writing, you know, for our magazine? Uh, and of course, you know, what I love about the story is that, you know, he had no idea that I was probably 13 years old at the time <laughs> so, because yeah. it was purely just yeah. judging it yeah. based on the quality of, you know, my written work, uh, you know, on copy service. So, this, this person knows how to write. So this was all done over, you know, I mean, there was no video. There was not even phone calls back in the day. It was basically just sort of, it was like, you know, an email from him. Um, and I said, sure, sounds great. Uh, so then I got to write a preview of Will Wright's Sim Farm, oh, cool. which was one of the, uh, you know, oh, knockoffs yeah. or knock-ons of, uh, of SimCity. So I got to write a preview for that. And then sort of all through high school, I got to write, um, you know, uh, previews of games and eventually started to go visit game studios. So I got to go visit it in like 1994, sort of shortly after the, oh, the wow. launch of Doom and yeah. visit those guys. So I got exposed to a lot of these game developers when I was still in high school and I would take trips and kind of write articles about them. And that led to the, the first E3 in 1995. So yeah, that's really where it kind of just began um, as me sort of, you know, getting access to developers, uh, meeting them and, you know, meeting Tim Sweeney when he was, you know, just, you know, starting this idea of an Unreal Engine, right? And giving me the first ever demo of that in 1995 and stuff like that. So, yeah, it all began back then. Um, that's, so that's, that's, that's where it started. Incredible. That's awesome. So, wait, so were you getting, so you're 13, you write yeah. something for Computer Game Strategy Plus, did they pay you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you probably got paid 50 bucks or, I mean, it was, you know, not that much, but when you're a kid, that, that's instead of a yeah. paper or something, that's like something <laughs> no, cool that's, to do. Yeah. And I'm you just got free games. Yeah. That's awesome. They just sent you a Did check. Did not get paid as a beta tester. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I didn't get paid as a beta tester. That was all volunteer. But yes, I started writing articles and yeah, they would send me a check in the mail in Canada and, you know, the magazine would show up on a newsstand and, uh, Markham, Ontario. So it'd be so cool. I'd like, you know, go to this and I'm like, wow, there's my written word. You still I'd have like them? <laughs> show this magazine. Yeah, I showed it. Yeah, I know I have archives of all that stuff. I That's mean, I kept awesome. a lot of the the old game swag and paraphernalia that I would get um, from those days. And yeah, it was it was cool. So yeah, I, I got I made a little bit of money and that was sort of enough that I was able to, you know, kind of make that my summer job or what I would do as a job kind of all through high school. 
Um, and then same thing sort of, you know, through college and stuff like that. Um, I, I just did, I did as a side gig and I never thought necessarily it was going to turn into a career. What was your major, I, you know, in college? Yeah. What, what did you your, study I in college? I majored in ph- philosophy and business. I was a double oh. major at USC in, um, Los Angeles. And I was going to go to law school. Um, that was sort of the plan. I did the LSAT and got accepted a few places. Uh, but just never ended up doing that. Cause I just, that year, just as I was graduating college, um, had Time Magazine come to me saying, hey, we want you to start writing even more about games and doing business profiles and doing more things. A guy named Josh Quitner, who was the, the digital editor at Time, kind of came to me with that opportunity. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So yeah, I it, it just sort of snowballed from there. And you know, I've never, you mentioned, you know, I've had lots of developers on. I've I've never really aspired to like develop a game. And I know a lot of my friends in the media back in the day, you know, it was kind of a it was a gateway to becoming a game developer or going to make games. And even though I've been around a lot of developers, I, you know, was there with Valve when they were first making Half-Life and doing all these other amazing, you know, stories, I never really had the itch to go and make a game. So I was just excited to sort of cover games and 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 elevate the the storytelling around the people who make games. And that's always something right. I, was, I was always fascinated mm-hmm. with is, you know, getting to hang out with like Will Wright. I remember when I was a kid and it's like talking to this guy. I'm like, this, this is like <laughs> what, a modern what day Einstein. I was going to say, or Alex Soropian and Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I was so fun to be around like all these. Yeah. I mean, just super inspiring people um, that I think just honestly, as a kid, I think it helped just inspire me outside of work. It was just like cool to be around these really smart people that I got access to that were, you know, really, you know, good people. I mean, that was the great thing about gaming too, is that, you know, genuinely everyone was like really above board and awesome, you know, smart, good people in the industry generally. Um, and whether that was, you know, Ken and Roberta Williams at Sierra or Tim Schafer at Lucas or Will Wright um yeah even the id guys and stuff and you know uh mark rain and tim sweeney at epic like all those guys i really you know grew up with them um so they were you know it was great to be inspired by them but also i think just was really kind of you know personally motivating um to have those sort of uh you know icons of the industry giving you their time and yeah i would sit with will Wright, and i'd say to myself it feels like i'm sitting with like a (laughs) modern day einstein like it's just amazing like how his brain worked the things he would talk about and think about so yeah it it made me realize that a lot of gamers at that time didn't really understand who made the games. And I was always, yeah. you know, I loved even, you know, Sierra, like, you know, Jane Jensen or Roberta Williams or Josh Mandel or Al Lowe or, you know, all these incredible um, creators that worked on these games. I think people didn't really know them. So I always was like, oh, maybe there's a way to cover their stories and do a little bit more behind the scenes reporting on games yeah. versus just straight yeah, yeah. reviews and previews. And that was sort of became a very early inspiration for me when I started in college writing the what we called the behind the game series on GameSpot, which were these sort of longer pieces that looked at the development of games. So I did like a piece on the making of Unreal, um, the original game that uh, Digital Extremes did with Epic or, you know, Half-Life, right? I mean, I was embedded with Valve when they made the original Half-Life. So that was like with Gabe and the team when, when Valve that was, was just That starting. was before, was that before Steam was a thing, right? Yeah, pre-Steam. Yeah, that was, I mean, Steam yeah. was Half-Life 2 time. And yeah, this was like the original game that they published with Sierra. So like um, small, yeah. small team, like yeah. kind of indie game dev at the time. Yeah, no, that, that right? yeah they yeah. were, I mean, yeah, they were two guys, you know, uh, Gabe and, and Mike Harrington. They had come out of Microsoft and they, you know, wanted to, yeah, just build a, a cool game. So they hired a bunch of people from the mod community, set up an office in uh, in in Kirkland, um got you know they licensed id tech right so they licensed the quake yep. engine to kind of make a game and then they got a publishing deal with sierra uh for half-life and yeah i sort of tracked the development of that game and you know all those guys you know st- still know to this day i was just at dinner in la a couple weeks ago with one of them um derek and sally and yeah so they they brought people into the mod community built that game and i wrote this kind of pretty exhaustive piece that chronicled the making of the original half-life which i think is still online somewhere um, and that was when I sort of, you know, transitioned from just being a kid who gave hints and tips and yeah. wrote previews and reviews of games to doing kind of deeper in-depth, um, you know, storytelling yeah. about the making of games. Yeah, yeah. I remember it, that. It, was there some, like, although those devs that you're talking about, very formative, um, uh, creative folks, is there, you have a unique position to have spent time with all of them. Is there something in that you've noticed <laughs> that that makes 
you know, that that kind of uh, group, like super successful group of people tick? Where, or is it different every every team yeah. you go and spend time with when they're finishing? Are they all different, or is there some through line where it's like, oh yeah, I, I see a I see a pattern. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say, but I do think the thing I learned early on with a lot of the best teams is that they would just really rapidly iterate and always have things playable and up and just, you know, kind of like all the, you know, id or Valve or these other studios. It's just like they would always have stuff playable. And I think they weren't super like, you know, design doc heavy and sort of they were very much like, let's get something on screen. Let's play it. Let's play test things. Let's get feedback from people. Like I always remember when I would go to those studios, we'd always be telling because they would often have me sit down and play the game. And they would all be there with like notepads. Like they'd be really curious, like what your feeling was like when you played it, the response and the feedback loop. And that was always, you know, I think a sign of a great studio that they were really interested in feedback and they, they, they really wanted to evolve the game. Some other places you'd go and they'd be like, Hey, here's our game. Go sit in a room, play it, come back and tell us what you think. Um, or they were just like, Hey, the game's done. And yeah, Val, I mean, Val famously, even on half-life, I mean, they basically threw out the game and redid it. Right. And that sort of sense of, um, you know, constantly evolving and iterating on a game, I think is what I found, you know, most of the, most of the best studios are able to, um, to do that and sort of never rest. So yeah, that was kind of a, a common thing. And, and, you know, other places, I just think they're always, you know, looking to do something different. It was easier back then. Right. Cause I mean, it was smaller teams, smaller budgets. So you could sort of, you know, iterate, <laughs> um, you know, much quicker and stuff like that than some of these, you know, gargantuan games now. Um, which are, you know, you guys know, it's like really hard. That's part of the thing, you know, I, I'm excited about what you're doing with UFN and some of that, because I think it goes back to the roots, right? Of sort of, you know, rapid prototyping yeah. and experimenting yep. yeah. um, on gameplay versus having to, you know, yep. have some massive budget and ma- massive production behind it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. What did you think about when it, like, what do you like better whenever you're, uh, you were looking at these games, like being alone in that room? And nobody's standing behind you, or like that crowd of people <laughs> just like looking over your shoulder. <laughs> it, 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 cre- it creates a lot of pressure, I would tell you, because it's like you know one of the things is it, because I'm sort of a you know a face known in gaming. I think everyone's like very conscious, like how good are you at these games or whatever, right? And it's sort of you're always yeah. How good are you at these games? I will say. I will say I was a lot better back in the day, right? Um, and that's one thing, like, you know, people are always like, why aren't you streaming on Twitch? I was like, you probably don't want to see me streaming on Twitch. Like, there's a sense that you're going to be, you know, a master of Mortal Kombat and Call of Duty and Valorant and all these other things. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I really, like, I loved, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, obviously we, we played a lot of the, you know, the Mario games, things like that, but it was, you know, I loved adventure games, story games. It wasn't necessarily about kind of, you know, crazy competitive um multiplayer stuff and even though you know i loved playing you know duke 3d multiplayer and descent and quay i mean that era of sort of the early days of multiplayer like my brother and i would you know have modems and we'd connect you know our, our rooms <laughs> in the house we'd call each other right we'd have the two lines we'd call each other on the modems to play you know multiplayer but yeah um you know now i, I tend to I still love single player games i'm a, i'm you know i love narrative single player stuff that's still is sort of what you know um what I grew up on and what I love. And, but, you know, sitting in that room, I tend to, I mean, it's fun to be around these developers and giving feedback. And I said, the, the best studios, you can tell, even if they're at the top of their game, they're always eyebrows raised, curious about what did you think about this? What feedback do you have? And it's a, it reminds me, honestly, a little bit of that beta testing thing, right? Where you're sort of like, you know, then you're in an office, you know, beta testing live and giving feedback and hopefully helping the game um, get better. See, I always love that. I mean, now it's, I don't get to do that anymore. Right. I mean, just, it, it feels like things have changed so much, but yeah, in those early days, it was really we cool would, to get um, to sort of play those games. We, we would have you over to beta test our stuff, Jeff, anytime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can well, do it from your house, <laughs> actually, from your bedroom. That's <laughs> now it's now it's all virtual. That's why yeah. I get a UFN code and add you to the team. Yeah, right. play stuff yep. And it's like, hey, yeah. Do you, what do you what do you prefer now? Like, because you 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 started writing, and my first experience uh, to seeing who you are was on GTTV, yeah. and I was like, oh, this guy, you know, and I I never I never knew you were a writer before that um, until mm-hmm. after, right? So, what do you prefer? Like, if you were going to do like another project on let's say you know some some big ip or something would you rather do like a short tv thing or youtube thing or write something and have pictures and multimedia like what where do you lean it's a great question um you know i 
I started with writing and then a guy, Victor Lucas, um, who was really the pioneer of sort of video game television, a, a show called Electric Playground up in Canada. Um, one year, probably in maybe 2000, kind of hit me up an event saying, hey, I think you might be good on camera. Um, would you want to kind of come and co-host? You're a natural. Um, <laughs> you are. And it, yeah, and it just, <laughs> just kind of worked out. I never really aspired to do the the television thing. But what I've always said is that I was just lucky that I transitioned from sort of just doing purely written work to doing TV stuff, then to doing kind of YouTube, Twitch stuff, just when those mediums became kind of how people consume content uh, around games, right? Um, like I love, I love written stuff. I miss writing. I find it personally, I find it harder to write things than host things, right? I think it's like, it, it's harder for me, you know, just, just like intellectually, it's like, I think it's more challenging, right? I'm more challenged when I write and I, I, I get more stress than just, you know, doing that and producing the game awards. But I love it in the end product. I mean, I'm really proud of those stories of a certain, you know, hopefully will stand the test of time. And I think it's so cool that there's an archive now of like the story of the making of Doom 3 or the making of Half-Life or Half-Life 2. Um, but yeah, I mean, so now I, I would love to do more written stuff. I just think sadly so much of the world has moved on to, you know, they want to listen to a podcast. They want to watch a documentary on Netflix versus read a 30,000 word story on a website. So, you know, in 1997, it was awesome to write 20,000 words about the making of Half-Life. Um, and I've done, like I did a, a story on the making of Half-Life Alex a couple of years ago on Steam, which was a sort of interactive app. So it kind of had a bunch of 3D in it, but it was more written words. Um, I, I, I still have said I, I would love to do a really amazing documentary, uh, like film on game development at some point. And that's a, sort of an itch that I've been uh, wanting to scratch. You guys just know, you know, as developers, it's like, it's just when you're writing a story, you can kind of have a tape recorder or you can kind of be around people and it's less invasive. But as soon as you get into like cameras and filming and all that, especially now mm -hmm. with, you know, remote production and virtual teams, like it's, it's really, really hard to do that. Well, um, it's very, it's very disruptive to development. So yeah, all things being equal, I would like to do stuff that's a little bit more multimedia. I miss the written word, but I just think, you know, so few people read anymore. That if you want yeah. to reach sort of the, the biggest audience, you kind of have to do stuff that's like video or audio now. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, I'm going to jump backwards a little bit because you were talking about getting out of uh, college and you took the LSAT. Don't take this as an insult, but I think you would have you would have made a really good lawyer. I think I thought the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I know. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like he would have memorized I'm, all the laws, you know. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm I'm happy you didn't do that. Um, when I got out of college, I tell this story all the time. When I got out of college, I had I was going to get a job as a programmer, but I had written a game. I, I wanted to start a company. I had this choice dilemma got advice, ignored the advice, just did what I naively thought I wanted it to do, um, which turned out yeah. fine. Uh, but like, did you have a, <laughs> did you have a thing? No, that I were you yeah, I was, I mean, look, I think the, the law school thing was more just like I was doing well in school. I feel like a lot of people, it's kind of, you know, you just go to law school, you don't quite know what you want to do, right? It's like, oh, well, it's like more education is probably going to be a good thing. We'll pay off. And look, my, my sister's a lawyer and went through law school and did great. And um, yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily super passionate about law. I think it was just sort of like, oh, this could be a cool thing to do to keep my education going um, after, you know, after undergrad. So I did it, you know, got into some good schools. I was maybe going to do that. And then, yeah, I think, and the gaming thing I never really saw as a career, right? I thought it was like a cool, fun thing. Um, you know, I got to make a little bit of money, but it, I just didn't ever think, you know, as a journalist, I was ever going to be able to sort of make things work. And even now, like, you know, I, I don't really, I don't describe myself as a journalist anymore. Right. I mean, I've kind of become more of an entrepreneur and, you know, built, built businesses. Um, cause I was scared, you know, even then, like, you know, I remember the, the editor of time, Josh, you know, time, he told me it's like in, you know, 2000, like, oh, journalism is, you know, going to be kind of challenged over the next few years. And I mean, if you look, you know, <laughs> 20, 23 years later, it's like, you know, it's, it's even worse than probably people um, thought it was going to be. So yeah, I just didn't know that that was, you know, gaming journalism was going to be a full-time career, but then I just got excited about so many opportunities coming my way. I deferred law school for a year and then just never really went uh, back. And yeah, so there wasn't really a ton of rhyme or reason to it that I was, you know, super passionate about, you know, 
property law or you know ip or anything like that right but, but in like your in your head were you like there's like okay well i could go to law school and i kind of know what that path is like or i could maybe i'll wait and i'll try this other thing which i like doing and see if anything happens and then it just kept going and going yeah i kept going exactly that's why and i got you know kind of excited the the tv stuff started there just seemed to be a bunch of cool opportunities yeah. um you yeah, know i started yeah, to yeah. make some okay money and i was just like yeah you know i don't i wasn't Super, you know, I, I never really knew why I was going to go to law school. Just like it was just a thing to do, right? And it just right. naturally just yeah, after a couple of years, just kind of passed me by. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've always toyed over the years, like maybe one day I'll go back. Because I mean, I you know, I, I think I would love to, you know, know all that, have that knowledge, right? And go back to school. I mean, just like anything, like I wish I could <laughs> learn all these. You know, I wish I could speak Japanese, but I can't. And it's like I'd love to learn that at some point. But just, you get to a point in life where I think just so many other things kind of, you know. Um, take over. And yeah, I just got consumed by excitement about the sort of opportunities I was getting in the gaming industry. And I just yeah. never, never, never went back. Wouldn't that be cool if you could take a pill and you would learn Japanese? What? Oh, just I like mean, hey, Matrix. one day. There was a thing I was just playing with. It. There's this crazy thing, this this uh, AI program called HeyGen that I was playing with. And it's crazy. You can record a video now in English, like on your iPhone. You upload it and it takes your voice it dubs it into Japanese, it changes your lip movements, and you basically, it's like you're talking Japanese, and it does it in like 30 wow. seconds. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. And you can do it wow, for any language. It's just amazing. Yeah. So it's just like all go. this AI that, stuff now is just like insane. I mean, even now there's like bonkers. This real time translation stuff where I think, you know, within, you know, I don't know, a year, you'll be able on Zoom with someone in a different language and you'll be able to literally yes. like talk yeah. to yeah. each other. Yeah, Babelfish. Yeah, it's like um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, they had the little right? thing the you could put in, right? The yeah. little earpiece that you could get now yeah. that's like real time. And then your phone has yep. the, the real time stuff. So if you're in Japan, you could put your phone over something and it translates. Yeah, the science. I was doing that in Japan yeah. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it, it's so insane. that's why it's yeah. like amazing how this, how this works. And so, yeah, those kind of things like I – you know, whether it was becoming a lawyer, learning languages and stuff like that, it just, I got consumed with the excitement around game stuff. And I like, I, honestly, that's what I love about this industry is that every year there's something new, there's something exciting. And that's why, you know, I've been doing it yep. for like 30 years now, which yeah. is crazy. And I always, at some point was like, oh, am I going to go more into entertainment stuff or will I ever get bored with games? And I just get like so excited every year like when we're doing game awards and stuff i'm not like oh this is a boring year there's nothing happening <laughs> like it's it's cool so that's why I just yeah I, in some ways so you know, three decades has moved so quickly that i haven't had a chance to uh to really even think about doing anything else i noticed you you describe yourself you just described yourself as an entrepreneur the game awards that's yes. a business that's a production entity yeah that you started own, yeah I started it. Yep. Same, same with Summer Game Fest. So that that's your mm -hmm. product line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I started. I mean, the first thing I did was yeah, I started Game Awards because I had done, um, you know, I'd, I'd done obviously the Spike Video Game Awards as you mentioned. I worked on GeForce Geforia. Even back when I was a kid, I worked on this thing called Cybermania '94, which Cybermania. was like sort of the first <laughs> televised awesome. awards show hosted by <laughs> Leslie Nielsen and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So yeah, I. I'd always wanted to sort of do an award show for games kind of the way I wanted to do it. And I worked on the spike thing for uh, probably close to a decade. Uh, and then, yeah, in 2014, I decided to kind of put all my own money against, you know, building this sort of new award show for games. It was not going to be on television. It was going to be on this new kind of, you know, streaming stuff on, on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, and yeah, that was something that I basically, you know, uh, invested in myself to kind of build that. And that was sort of the, you know, the more entrepreneurial thing and kind of took a lot of the money that I'd made over the years uh, being a television, you know, host on, on TV, um, and rolled that into sort of, uh, you know, creating the game awards. So yeah, that was the first, I mean, I'd done obviously the, the final hours apps and things like that, but yeah, the first big thing I did was game awards and then, um, yeah. And then, and then the summer game fest thing started at that in the pandemic really. Um, and that was with, uh, the guys at, uh, I'm 8 bit that also do, um, yeah, yeah, they do this guys. thing called play days, yeah. which is a, a physical event around it. So yeah, we've been building that over the past four or five years. So yeah, I mean, I'm entrepreneurial, but a lot of that stuff is all created out of necessity in some ways, in my view, like, you know, um, you know, the spike video game awards were kind of falling apart and I was like, well, I think we need to build something <laughs> new here. So yeah. I created game awards E3. E3 was falling apart. I'm like, hey, I think we need to create something new. So that was Summer Game Fest. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not a super risky person, really. It's just sort of one of those things where I'm like, I felt so compelled to like, you know, for instance, with 
when the Spike Awards were falling apart, I'm like, well, we can't have a year where we don't have uh, an award show for games. Like, what about the developers that, you know, the next year? So that really just compelled me to, um, you know, want to go and build something. I had a lot of people that, you know, in the industry that really um, came after me and said, you should build this. Like even Sam Hauser at Rockstar, I remember at the after party of the last Spike Awards came up to me and said, hey, it's really important that, you know, you keep doing things like this and, and have an award show. So, yeah, that was that was certainly the biggest entrepreneurial thing I did because, you know, instead of buying a house, uh, you know, kind of made the awards. And that was that was a big, you know, big personal risk. Yeah. Are you are you going to add a games as a platform category now? Games as a platform. Uh, well, we have like an ongoing um, ongoing game. Are you saying like for user generated content and stuff like that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like a, a category for best, Yeah, you know, like game made in another yeah. game. Yep. Yeah, we're talking about it. So I think... Um, Aaron wants a you know, UEFN award. Yeah. That's what he wants. Well, there's going to be other UEFN games award. that have, right? Arc has <laughs> it. <laughs> no, no. Sims uh, is well, look. I think you'll see this year. I think we are starting to to play with that. Um, we have some partnerships coming up that we'll announce about recognizing some of the best work inside certain games. I don't know. The thing that we struggled with, and we've talked about this too, is like, you know, we actually had back in 2014, 15, the first couple of years of Game Awards, we actually had a best um, user created content award. And it was hard because there were a lot of IP violations mm. back then and things that <laughs> oh, sort <yeah>. of. <laughs> Um, shut it down in some ways because there were a lot of issues with some of the games. Um, But now I think you said it's matured. And yes, I think we would like to bring that back. I think right now it's hard to like compare like a a Roblox experience to a UFN experience. (laughs) And so, you know, all these. So I think it's like to, I think we're going to, we're looking at what we're going to do around UEFN this year. And I think figuring out how we can sort of celebrate that. And there'll probably be some news coming soon about some things we're doing there. And yes, I think over time, we absolutely do want to recognize um, user-created content sort of in and around the show. And look, at you know, at some point, there'll be a maybe a UEFN game that's so amazing that could win game of the year, right? I mean, it can also, yeah. these games can be eligible in any yeah. category. That's good. Um, right but yes, yeah, so I think for sure, like I'm very interested in that space. And, you know, I've done a lot of cool stuff with uh, Fortnite over the years. Like you guys probably remember that crazy Star Wars event we did with, um, that I hosted with J.J. Abrams, which was like, you know, insane in the game. There were like, you know... <laughs> 10 million plus people all there and we were doing an interview and the millennium falcon was flying over you so yeah i'm a big believer in um you know especially the unreal engine and and uh fortnite becoming kind of a really cool platform for for new types of games yeah yeah that's uh we are too that's cool aaron yeah we got to aim for game of the year we got to and we know we know him already so maybe we got it all you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i mean what 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 is like so putting on a show like that like as a as a product what's 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 it like what goes in i imagine there's a ton of prep that goes into that a lot of pre-production what what's the development cycle like for that and what and this is a separate question but related what's it like making a product that you personally are the center of you know yeah 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 great questions <laughs> um well, I would say the cycle is, it's pretty long. I think it's longer than people realize. Um, something like the Game Awards, I mean, really is sort of a year-round thing. I mean, we have to, you know, book the theater, you know, almost a year out, right? And things like that and figure out dates and timing. And then, you know, I spend, I think people don't realize probably how much time I spend behind the scenes meeting with developers, looking at games, getting things pitched, talking about what the trailers will be. Like, it's a very curated show. Um, I was just in Japan for a couple of weeks looking at a bunch of games and, and, and evaluating things. So yeah, I'm very hands-on too. Like, uh, you know, even though I'm the, the face of it, I really am, you know, picking the games, working with the game companies, building all that. Um, we have a great team that, that helps us put it all together, but a lot of the editorial pieces are really driven by me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, you know, obviously we have other shows now. So we have like the summer game fest show, we do a show at Gamescom in Germany. So we have multiple shows throughout the year that sort of service the same, you know, base of game companies. So we talk to people about things and things often move between, you know, one show to the next um, where things get delayed and go from summer game fest to the game awards. So, um, but yeah, we're, it's, it's a constant pretty much year round thing. I would say, you know, probably six months of my year is exclusively devoted to the game awards. And it is, you know, this going concern where I kind of know every year um, I'm going to be devoting a bunch of time to it. Uh, and yeah, I'm proud to like, it's, it's, I'm, you know, I'm, it's amazing how it's grown over the past decade. This is our 10th year this year of the show. 
uh, which is just, it's, it's hard to believe. And it's, you know, growing from, you know, a couple million people watching in 2014 to 103 million live streams awesome. last wow. year. So, nice. um, it's been, it's been, I, I crazy Mr. Ride. Beast I'm not territory sure it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, it's kind of you to say, but it's, uh, and I, you know, it, I think I always, I, I appreciate what game origins. I think it, it, it means a lot to people, both, you know, the developers, obviously, but the fans, they yeah. just, you know, really do care yeah. about it. And, um, you know, it's not just, uh, a thing on the internet so it's really like a passion point for people so yeah I, I it's, love a, doing it's it. a big event um, it's a big event it generates yeah. a lot of conversation i think it's where the tone for the coming year is kind of set um yeah so no, yeah I, so it, it thank does you have a huge trailers impact. like people look has, forward to yeah. the trailers like yeah. the announcements oh yeah we uh that's why so it's, like, mean, it's, like, the it's like the super bowl it's like the super bowl yes <laughs> no, it no, is. It's, it's the super bowl uh, of video games it is no i mean you know the thing is though you know our it's there's a lot of pressure just because, you know, you said fans have crazy expectations and we don't make the game. So we yeah. sort of have to, you know, we like you know, sometimes <laughs> there'll be a game we wanted to show. There's one last week that we thought we were going to have. And now like, oh, they're del- and the game's getting delayed, so they're not going to be ready. And it's like, oh, my God, that's heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, it, it ties back to your question about sort of me as a an individual being the, you know, the face of it. Um, I mean, they're, they're good and bad aspects to that. Um, you know, I never really set out to be the host of the show it's it's not like i come out and do a you know 10 minute comedy monologue right i mean i just you know, come <laughs> out and i'm sort of more of a master of ceremonies right but but yeah it's just it's not my thing i'm like i'm going to come out and talk about games but there is there's an authenticity to it which i think people appreciate that yeah. you know when i'm introducing a game it's like a game that i've actually played or i know the developer and so that it's not just me reading a script like there have been times on the show where like the the prompter will go out and i'll just like people like well we didn't even notice it's like yeah i knew what i was talking about it's like you know it's like i i i've written what i was gonna say i i worked with the developer so there's a i part of the secret of our show is that it, it is authentically me kind of hosting it and not just uh you know not just a talent but there's there's downsides too i mean i think the the hardest part with game awards is this view that somehow i'm the one picking the nominees and the winners um and that's you know i have nothing to do with that we have a separate jury and i you know because i'm so conflicted in many ways with working with the game companies as sponsors and as content partners i stay out of that but there's still this kind of sometimes view on the internet that you know oh you know just picking or he's deciding (laughs) or he's biased in one way or not so because i'm sort of the face of it that's always something that is, is a a constant sort of uh, source of misinformation about that. So that's kind of probably the biggest downside of, of being sort of, you know, the public face of it. Right. Yeah. How, well, how big is like, what goes into making it like people wise, like how many folks yeah. put that show together? Well, we have, I mean, a core team, I'd say it's not actually that big. It's probably about 10 people that are sort of our core unit that moves between show to show. When you get to a production of that scale, you have, you know, hundreds of people um, actually involved. And because we're, we're in LA and, and we're a big award show, there are people that actually, that's what they do for a living as they move from kind of one award show to the next. So they do like the Emmys and they go do the billboard music awards and they do the game awards. And so they, they're these people that move from show to show and they're very skilled stage managers and producers and, and all those folks. So we work with a lot of those people. And that's why I learned a lot of, you know, who those people are and how to work with them. Um, from my time working in television, like the, the showrunner of game awards, my partner in it is, uh, Kimmy Kim, who I met, uh, working on the spike video game awards. And she had, you know, she works on the Oscars and the MTV movie awards and other things over the years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting way that these shows are produced. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big team that we ultimately kind of work with. And, uh, you know, it was, it was radical when we started because in 2014, my view is like, let's make a show that is, you know, as high quality as a television show, but just do it on YouTube and Twitch. And that's always what I've sort of prided myself on is, you know, doing a show that is a, you know, a big multi-million dollar production with an orchestra and, you know, big lights and set. Um, and I think that's something that the game industry deserves but was definitely pretty radical to sort of do something of that scale 10 years ago yeah it's awesome but worked out are you in la right now i'm in new york right now oh new york cool but are you based in la mm-hmm. yeah yeah based in la out in new york doing some business from toronto just got back yeah. in japan well, why, baby? Yeah, I, I, I travel a lot. Yeah, I know. I spent I spent a, I spent a bunch of time in New York. Um, I love it here. I spent time in London. Yeah, I, I you know the nature of my job, especially 
you know, now is really visiting people and visiting studios and, uh, you know, working with advertisers and distributors. And there, there's lots of elements of, uh, you know, that, that go into making one of these shows. So, uh, yeah, I have to be actively out there and uh, playing games on the side as well where, where I can. What are you but, playing? Um, it's harder. Hard. Uh, well, I don't know when this is, when is this, when is this hitting? I can tell you what I'm playing. Maybe wait, what's, when is this? Uh, this, this will two go weeks, out right? in two weeks. Okay. So I think I can say I'm playing uh, Marvel Spider-Man two right now. Oh, um, so the Marvel will be out. So I'm playing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right on. And you got a big smile on your face, so I'm guessing yeah. you're enjoying it. <laughs> he likes it. <laughs> He's like, it's good. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. It's a, I mean, look, it's been an amazing year for games, right? I mean, yeah. that's one of the things oh that my I think gosh. is going to be really interesting with yeah. uh, Game of the Year this year is that it's, you know, it's going to be a real battle. And, you know, some years I, yeah. I always say that, so, you know. Five, so hold, hold, so the, the, the Game of the Year, like the, the balloting and, and that, you, you have a different group. You kind of you separate yourself out, you know, because you're dealing with – but who who would you vote for game of the year? <laughs> well, I haven't played everything yet, but um, no, I mean, look, there's Alex, but I can't. No, this, I, like, I'm, I was just out. I just had dinner last night with uh, Sam Lake here in New York, and you know, Alan Wake's coming out. I'm really excited about that. I haven't played that yet, and that'll be out oh, in October. One. So, like, that could be yeah, Alan Wake too. Yeah. Um, so that would be good. But look, I think I mean, if you ask people and you look at the Metacritic scores, I mean, I think obviously, you know, Baldur's Gate and, you know, Tears of the Kingdom, I think are sort of, you know, some of the highest ranked games. So I think those are going to, you know, I can't tell you between those two, how that shakes out. And this, I mean, it's been a really good year. I always say uh, like been Diablo some years, as well. Diablo, and Starfield. Final Fantasy, Dave Diablo, the Diver, Starfield, Dave the Diver, <laughs> Mar- Mario Wonder. Oh yeah. You know, Mario like, yeah, Wonders. Just, that's right. Or Wonder. A lot could, of stuff. So, yeah. yeah so it's, it's one of those years where, Look, as a producer, you kind of love it because anything could win. Like that creates a lot of excitement, and you know, and I'm sure there will be a lot of drama on the internet. No, you know, no matter what sort of happens, (laughs) because you know, six nominees. This is great fuel. Yeah, there's great. Yeah, great fuel for there's going to be stuff that doesn't even get nominated, and that'll be huge drama in November when that happens. So it's, uh, you know, I like you know, even last year, like Elden Ring, I think was kind of probably going to win and you know god of war got some momentum and there were some other great games but that was sort of you know likely that that was going to win this year i really can't tell you right i think there's yeah two or three or four games that you know all could win and that's what you want is like you know six nominees for game of the year and literally you know there's no front runner um which i think makes for a really exciting uh show so we'll see but yeah i don't i don't know what's ultimately going to uh prevail but it's yeah it's been a really really strong year yeah, so I mean, so these shows you put on these shows—they're live, right? They're fully live. Yeah. Like I'm guessing you must have had some mishaps over the ten years. Any good ones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the the first year of the Game Awards was was probably the most tense because we we're doing it live. We were doing it in Las Vegas at the uh, the Britney Spears Theater because we couldn't afford to kind of build our own set, so she kindly lent us her set for her pieces of me show at the Axis theater in um in vegas and with that one you, you had we had a lot of bands performing imagine dragons other folks all performing their live and you do these sound checks before the show um and what happens is uh, the guys around the soundboard they have to basically save the levels right and so just like saving a game right you sort of save the state of all the different you know volumes and knobs and things like that um and about 15 minutes before the show they came up and said well we've got a bit of a problem that the save file is corrupt. So we have none of the levels for any of the bands that are going to be playing the show live tonight. So yeah, we had, so I basically had to, they had to like sound check the bands basically as they were getting ready to perform. So if you go back and watch that video, I'm just like vamping for like a couple minutes in between performances until they give me a thumbs up. He's like, Hey, things are going to work again. That was an extremely sort of tense um, mishap. And then, yeah, there've been other things where like, I think one year, it was 2015, the second year, uh, Jade Raymond was presenting an award um, and we gave her like the wrong envelope or something. So she opened it up Uh-oh. and I think she said, yeah, she said the wrong <laughs> oh, name and it that's was like a bunch award. of confusion and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So typically, you know, just like Oscar's <laughs> yeah. thing. So that was, again, we apologize to Jade. It was totally our fault. So things like that, you know, just naturally happened. But I love the, the energy of a live show. And I think especially now in an environment where so many of these other uh 
events like Nintendo directs, everything are so much on tape. Like I think there's an energy to yeah. a live crowd reacting to something. Like I love, as you were talking about the announcements, like last year when we, you know, revealed Hades too, like people went nuts and it's just, there's sort of a, there's an infectious enthusiasm that comes out of our shows, which I think really like drives the excitement about it. So yeah, I, I yeah. love the live aspect of it. I think that really differentiates us. And yeah, I, I'm always a big proponent of like making it a, a big live moment. I think that's that's that is super cool. I mean, it, it yeah. gives some personality to totally. you know, the the games of people making the games and and just the vibe. Well, even you know? the developers when they're in the audience, yeah. like I mean, it's you know, you, you guys know it's like gives people a lift when like you know there's excitement <laughs> and fans and cheering and all that. And that's yeah, I really try and preserve that live experience. And luckily, through the pandemic, we were still able to do our show every year. The 2020 show we had to do all over Zoom. But at least we were able to like make it happen. So yeah, that's another thing that I'm really proud that we we never missed a year in the in the pandemic. Cool. What happened to E3? Yeah, E3. Look, I mean, E3 was amazing. I I you know I I'm proud to say that I went to every physical E3 that happened. Um, you know, I started even in Atlanta. Huh? As a really, kid. you're yep, Atlanta you know, OG. Two, Whoa. Yeah, the two years Atlanta, and then before that in LA in yeah, 1995, 1996. Like I was there in '95. That was the year. The PlayStation was launching, and I, I went to the. There was a launch party where like Michael Jackson showed up, and it was just crazy, <laughs> awesome. like sort of insane. And so you know, as a, as a I don't know, fifteen or something like that, it was just like a, it was a crazy moment um, to to be there and be a part of that. So yeah, I really I really loved E three and kind of what it represented to the industry, and you know, did a lot. Obviously, you know, covering it for G four and Spike, and then we did YouTube shows live from E three every year. Um, and then I eventually started actually working with E3 into a thing called E3 Coliseum, which was, uh, you know, kind of some panels for consumers. Uh, you know, what, what happened? I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a complicated um, set of issues, right? And I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, I think the media landscape changing. I think, you know, publishers sort of, you know, just, you know, just, just changing how they approach kind of, you know, talking to people about games. So I think, you know, E3 really when it started was a trade show, right? And I mean, a lot yeah. of the audience were, you know, people from the GameStops going and other yeah. mom and pop retailers, you know, figuring out which games they were going to order. Obviously, over the past, you know, two decades, that's radically changed. And E3 tried to evolve. I mean, they tried to, you know, add consumers in and we did a lot of things with like live streaming and helping them. But it's sort of similar, I think, what kind of happened with why the video game awards just didn't work on Spike is it's sort of a legacy format. It's you're sort of somehow you're stuck, you're stuck so much to the past that it's hard to innovate to the future. And that's a lot of, I think what happened with E3 is it was sort of this, you know, big monolithic show that was built as a trade show with, you know, selling booth space to, to companies. Uh, and it just became a thing where it's like, people didn't really need to spend $10 million on a booth anymore. They could talk directly yeah. to consumers through social media, through their YouTube channel or through other digital ways. Um, so I think the E3 business model just sort of, they didn't reinvent it fast enough. And then I think companies started to pull out. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic happened and, uh, you know, that was, I, I decided to kind of quit E3 in 2020 pre pandemic. Then the pandemic happened. And then I started this, yeah, this new thing, summer game fest, which was just my, my hope to just try and come up with something to replace that, that E3, time of year because i thought it was really important to have this this june moment for the entire industry uh and i was not confident that you know e3 was ever really going to survive and i mean i think they you know they tried to do it with the pax guys I and mean, they've been four or five yeah. aborted attempts to i think even now they're talking about like oh in 2025 maybe it'll come back i mean i would you know be beyond shocked <laughs> if it does um, i'll go but we're, and i think i'll well, go well I look at it, and for us it's like we I always say you know summer game fest is is not an E3 replacement. It's really sort of a new concept. Um, but I know why people look at it that way, right? And compare it to, you know, what E3 was. I mean, the E3 of, you know, 2013, or it was just like, the, those E3s were so amazing. And they were just a you know, special moment in time with, you know, the number of games that were coming out and, the you know, everyone kind of, you know, all together. It was, it was really special. Um, I'd love to see that come back in some form and I hope summer games us, you know, may grow into that, but yeah, it's, it, it, a lot of factors sort of played into that, um, was sort of the demise of E3 and it was, you know, it's been a very slow and sort of painful demise over the past decade really. Yeah. For E3. Yeah. 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 Um, I always thought that I, I agree. I mean, I think that show was really about retail and kind of retail kind of 
changed, went away for for at least lost most of its influence in our industry, and and so it, the show kind of turned upside and also down. Also, global. It's like the other thing is I found when I started Game Awards, like I came off of a you know television network background where you just cared about your Nielsen rating and U.S. viewers. And when I started doing all this digital stuff, the thing that still blows me away is how global our audience is for mm. shows like the Game Awards and, you know, China and India yeah. and Southeast Asia and Brazil and, you know, all these other countries. And that was things E3 was, you know, still very much more like a domestic, and even though it was international that people would come in, it really was sort of like very much a domestic show. Um, and when you move to sort of a digital footprint, it becomes a much more global medium. So, yeah, I mean, I, I the E3 brand, I think, means a lot to people. Uh, and I just, you know, the ESA that kind of owns it, which is the industry's governing body, just was just very slow. And, and I, I, uh, I met with them multiple times in Washington, D.C. I really tried to help them figure out a way to kind of reinvent E3. But I think for a variety of reasons, the, the, the momentum and the history of what E3 was was just too hard to untangle. I know you, you said Summer Game Fest, not a replacement for E3. Do you have uh, like a vision for how it evolves, you know, over the next few years? Yeah. I mean, we, I, what I say with that show is that every year we sort of build something new. So it started in the pandemic, which is like literally me at home broadcasting, you know, the first hands-on with the PS5 DualSense controller and just doing all this. And that was, just, you know, a function of like what we could do. And then we moved it into a studio for a couple of years. And then last year we... We added this thing called Play Days, which is like kind of media hands-on on a much kind of smaller scale, but was a, a physical aspect to it. And then this year we added um, a live audience. So similar to the Game Awards, we had a live crowd at the YouTube theater and we did an announcement show. Um, so yeah, I think we're just I think we're just gonna keep building it and iterating. And the thing I always tell people is that, you know, a lot of people be like, well, this is an E3. And it's like, no, it's not. But I think over the years it will continue to grow and evolve and we'll we'll show up and we'll iterate and we'll learn and we'll build and oh surprise surprise five years later it's actually what it needs to be same, same thing with game awards when i started that everyone was like this isn't gonna work it's not on tv like it's you know it's not interesting to us because the value of this show was always that it was hitting all these mainstream viewers on tv and now like you know 10 years later here we are in you know in front of 103 million people globally with this show, um, which is, you know, bigger than anything on television. So, yeah, I think, you know, Summer Game Fest, the vision is really just to keep iterating um, and working with our partners to kind of add more elements to it. I don't know that it will ever grow to, you know, a big consumer show. Yeah, you know, I go to Gamescom every year in, in Germany in August and we do that consumer show and it's great. Um, but yeah, I think the vision really is to focus more on like creating a digital experience. I, I think we're, you know, I get excited about for summer game fest and even for game awards is longer term. How can we actually bring that experience into game engines a little bit? And that's, you know, I look at a lot of like the UEFN stuff and start to think about like, Hey, what's like a cool experience where, you know, imagine we announce a game and then you can jump through a portal and, you know, play three minutes or a little demo of something and come back out. It's kind of like, you know, steam next fest, but mixed together with sort of a real-time 3d experience and you know becomes more of a festival so i think longer term i'm really interested in thinking about how can we take the idea of like a summer game fest and how can we actually like create that experience for you if you're a 14 year old kid kid in stockholm sweden right and make you feel a part of something and become part of this experience so that's where you know i've always said that I would never really build a game, but I do like now the idea of using game engines and technology to mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. evolve some of these ideas. So yeah, you know, I, I'm conscious that now I do these basically television shows that are streamed on YouTube and Twitch. And I think over time, I want to evolve a little bit more into like, how do we create a, a real-time experience? Similar to that, that Star Wars thing I did a couple of years ago, which was really like disruptive when Donald Mustard came to me with that idea. I was like, whoa, this is like, the future of entertainment. And I, I don't think anyone's done anything like it since. Um, so I think, so that's like a longer term vision of all my shows, I think becoming a little bit more digital, but it'll take, you know, take years. Top three games. You're going to the moon. You're going to Mars. Going to Mars. There's yeah. only enough. You can only take <laughs> three no games. With you. Mars. Well, yeah, whatever. I just want to know well, top three. It's a good question. I mean, it's also thinking of, you know, I don't know if I would, so there's some of the games I love, would I take them to the moon with me? I don't know if it's, it's, I think some of them, like you always, I always see games through sort of rose colored glasses, right? Where it's like, I remember them much better than they actually <laughs> yeah, were. Right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like to right. go back and play, you know, play a game for 20 years. Ago. I'm like, I don't know that Super Mario Brothers <laughs> 3 was really that great. Um, but no, I would say like, I mean, obviously some of the early adventure games, like, uh, 
you know, Monkey Island 2, Day of the Tentacle, you know, those Lucas games, you know, Tim Schafer, Dave Grossman, uh, Ron Gilbert stuff, that was always, like, really inspiring to me. Um, you know, I loved, uh, I mean, Red Dead Redemption, I thought, it's a game I still really love. Um, it has a special sort of place in my heart um, there. So there are games that, like, I re remember and love. I don't know that I necessarily have, like you said, these three games that I would still play again today. And that's what's great about this medium is that, the games evolve so much the quality of life of playing a game is just so much easier now than it was you know 20 years ago right so you know i go i go back and i love tetris back in the day but it's like is that gonna that would, that would go. keep me busy on the moon right tetris so, red I, dead i would take and, tetris <laughs> and dead yeah, dead we're, we're very replayable very even though i love day of the town i'm not sure i want to play that 100 times over right yeah. so it's like something like you know tetris i would play so yeah it, it's fun it's uh like all those questions always it's that's what's so interesting about our medium is this intersection of technology and entertainment and then you said the games get better and better one of the things we think about this a lot with game awards is you know the oscars you can do these amazing historical montages and you know footage from cast the blank or gone with the wind like holds up right like you know you know you know 80 years later it's like you can still watch it and still connect with the characters you take, you know, footage of, you know, a game from 30 years ago and it's like, oh God, like, you know, <laughs> characters look terrible. It just doesn't have that same emotional connection. And not that, you know, I mean, the, even the gameplay, I mean, you can, you could show some gameplay of the, you know, original Link to the Past and that kind of works and stuff. But yeah, it's harder to think about how the magic games translates across, um, you know, decades and generations. So it's, it's a hard question to answer, but there are a couple games at least. Yeah, we got some in there. Right on, <laughs> right on. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Jeff. Uh, yeah. It's great hearing your nice story. Guys. And uh, yeah, best of luck with uh, this year's um, show. And yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. Uh, hopefully we'll get you guys a nomination one year here, yeah. right? For, uh, <laughs> best yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> no, but hey, how, about, that's like, how, about, uh, how about a gaming podcast category? Hey. Yeah. No, it's something we, we thought about that. <laughs> hey. thought, like, it's, we got to put it again. We you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, a part of it is like, look, we are we already get in trouble for not presenting enough of the awards we have, right? Because like we have 31 awards and we do about half of them in the show. So yeah, we've, we've certainly thought about like there's so many other genres and categories that we could go into. And, and me the media space is something interesting for sure. So um not this year, but you never know. I, I love the podcast format, and I wish uh, I always wanted to do a podcast myself. I did Hideo Kojima and I did a podcast together um, last year, which was really fun. So I'd, I'd love to get back to doing podcasting because I think it's such a cool format, and I love that you guys do this. And you've had an amazing, amazing group of guests. So I, I'm honored to to be on the list. So thank you. Thanks oh for coming well, on. we are Rightly honored to, to yes have you part of now our crew of alumni. So. Um, Great, great hanging out. Thanks for thanks for spending a, a morning with us, and we'll see it. We'll see you around. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you. All right. Was that what you were expecting? I've seen a lot of him. Like he doesn't know this, but I've I've seen hours and hours and hours and hours of him. <laughs> that and he's creep, and creepy. he's incredibly <laughs> professional. Yeah, he's, he's very, he, he is super professional. Yes, like that, he's in, that. I expected that. Super I'll tell you motivated. what I didn't expect. I'll What's tell you that? what I didn't expect was that he funded and has built these, this, the, <laughs> yeah, the know, right? current crop of shows. Those are, that's him. Like that's yeah. his, he, he owns that. I mean, he, he's built that. It's that's really awesome. impressive. It is. Yeah. And it's super important in the industry. Like if people just expect it, like that's when you know you have something you're on, like, you have something really good, right? When it's, it's people just expect it. Like, you know, yeah, oh, we're going like, to the food it's court. Like a yeah. There's it's a like pizza a place. Almost, yeah. 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 It's there. It's going to be there every year. There's going to be, and he feels that. <laughs> I know, you can't not have that. You can't not Right, have exactly. Yeah. And it's the best one. I've seen all of them. And I think this is the best iteration of, because, like, you know, there's been other mega award shows like that. And I think this version is, is in my opinion, the best one. But he, he's done all of them, though, right? Yeah, but I don't think he had as much control, probably, at Spike. We should have asked him. No. Well, I mean, I it sounded like, was... yeah, at Spike, it wasn't him. It, I mean, it was him, but it wasn't, hit, like, it was uh, It was the network. It was the network, right. And I think now yeah. he owns I it. I hope we understood kind of... that correctly. I, I think that's, 
Yeah, you could kind of tell when you watch it. And on game trailers, too. You could tell he was working there, you know? Yeah. That was a really also, good website. I love that site. Yeah, so a couple things there. Like, one, he invested in himself. He took what he learned and built, uh, even though it was kind of a singular thing. You know, they, he didn't have role models. Or other He had role models outside of games, but there weren't people in games doing what he's doing. He developed it, and he, he invested in himself. the that, role model. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And then his his story of like when he was like a teenager, thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> like totally like yeah, whatever. Like writing like to write, Sierra yeah. online, yeah. And they're like, "Hey, why don't you be a beta tester?" And he's like, yeah. starts writing sure. hints and stuff. He's like, "Hey, why don't you write for our magazine, Computer Game Strategy Plus?" I we used to go yeah. and pitch them like yeah. myth and stuff. I remember that. Um, yeah, so that's uh, another. It's like yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining 13-year-old Jeff getting that email like, hey, would you like to write articles for our magazine? <laughs> and he's like, sure. Yeah. No, yeah, no need for you to know I'm 13. <laughs> yeah. Not, and then he has a podcast with Hideo Kojima in the future. Yeah, whatever. He's just kind of rolling with it, you know, just kind of going. It's really cool that he did that he didn't become a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, but just that whole that whole arc it's a very self-made you know and i uh it reminds me a little bit of you know we talked to jonathan last week and when we talked to edmund a couple months ago they both both have these stories of like yeah. working it you know hard work refining a skill you know, investing in yourself and you're right and they that's it. what modesty looks like dude because <laughs> it didn't seem like he worked hard. He was like, yeah, you know, just doing it. <laughs> it's like he was being modest. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's very professional, very professional, modest. I hope you took notes, Alex. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I know. It's like, I was like, like hey, what? Was yeah, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. No, I'm really glad notes. you got him on the show. By the way, just so everybody knows, I, I, I'm the one that asked Alex to get him on the show. <laughs> I was like, come on, we gotta get him. Aaron, you yeah. you have good ideas. Oh, do I? Great. That's nice. I mean you have I love a him. barrage of ideas, a barrage of ideas, but <laughs> yeah, some of them yes. are good. <laughs> so <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> the, the Thank you everybody for joining us uh once again and hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jeff. We sure did. And we'll see you next time. See you later, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Curtain Podcast. To get a peek at upcoming episodes or to send in questions to the show, visit our site at thefourthcurtain.com. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>